0: You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see... You are about to see... That belongs in a museum! You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new...
1: Hello and welcome to Treasury Cash, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And for the first episode of 2020, we are not going back in the past. And instead, well, we sort of are. uh, Instead, we are talking about a brand new treasury out from Marvel Comics just a couple of days ago. Silver Surfer Black reprinting uh, Silver Surfer Black numbers one through five, which came out last year. And for a story this big, this Titanic spanning galaxies and universes and time periods, I figured it was just too big of a story to have one guest. So instead, we have two returning guests First up is from our network, Ryan Daly. Hi, Ryan.
2: Hi, and please call me the Sky Writer of the Spaceways. I
1: will do that. I'll write that down. And uh, and also our pal Derek William Crabb. Hi, Derek. To me, my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, first of all, I have to thank both of these guys on the air for doing this because uh, I didn't even know that this book was existed. I had no idea that... Uh, I am completely out of the loop when it comes to what is new in Marvel Comics, so I didn't know this was a series first of all, and then I didn't know it was a treasury until uh, Ryan a couple of like weeks ago. You were like, "Hey Rob, did you know about this?" And there was like a photo of some Marvel editor holding the book in his hand, and I was like, "What? The, the, the brand new treasury?" So that was super exciting. So I have to thank you for that, and for Derek, you volunteered uh, to talk to me about this because, like, I'm just woefully. Unfamiliar with what's going on in the Marvel Universe, so I want to start off. And Derek, I'll, I'll start off with you. Like, did you read this series uh, when it came out—the original miniseries by Donny Cates, Tradmore, Dave Stewart, and Clayton Cowles?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I
1: read it when it was. I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of read comics, sort of at like
4: piecemeal or sort of like I kind of binge read a lot of stuff. So I think when, when this first came out, I think I read the first two issues in a sitting and then I read like the last three issues in a sitting. So that's kind of how I read it. But I mean, I did read it basically last year and like I, I was, I mean, I've always been a fan of the silver surfer. Like I would probably say, I mean, I, I think somewhere along the way, Spider-Man got dethroned just because of everything that was convoluted in the Spider-Man world, but I mean, I, I think I'd say probably without a shadow of the uh, of a doubt like Silver Surfer is probably my favorite Marvel comics character. Oh, so wow. I mean, I mean I I always read his his book, you know, like when it was, you know, when they had the ongoing for, you know, Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers and then it turned into, you know, Ron Lim and and um Jim Starlin and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I I read that book for a really long time and I've tried to be sort of faithful to the character when things came out. And some things I think burned me where, you know, I'd read a miniseries and go, well, The Silver Surfer wasn't in it until like the last page of, you know, a five issue miniseries or something. And I'd be like, well, what does that have to do with The Silver Surfer? So I'd be kind of, you know, wary of of trying, you know, new titles and new, you know, versions of it. Um, And then I think this series, too, and I mean, I I think maybe Ryan can back me up on this, but I mean, this series is following the the Dan Slott, Mike Alred series, you know, in my mind, and, and that's something that's probably... Pretty hard to, you know, it's a pretty tough act to follow. I mean, that was that was a a long running series, and it was really really excellent. So so like that was one of those things where I was like, oh, I don't know about this, but I mean, I, I will say just you know briefest of of kind of quickie reviews. I mean, I enjoyed reading this, and it was fun, and I think I think they they probably made a good decision not to. Dwell on any of the previous excellence And kind of go off and forge Their own path with this miniseries And I think that worked to their
1: benefit Alright, Ryan, what about you?
2: I mean, uh... For the Silver Surfer as a character um, He was somebody I always liked Just aesthetically I thought his design was cool I first discovered him as an action figure of all things Which hmm. um, just actually kind of a common refrain for me I think my age is just at that sweet spot Where I was discovering some of these guys' as action figures And merchandise before I actually got to a comic store um, But I read the Silver Surfer a little bit In the early and mid-90s When it was, I think, Ron Mars And Ron Lim on the title um, and then just a couple of years ago maybe even last year or late 2017 I got into him again in a really big way and now he is definitely up there he like currently reigning as one of maybe top 3 favorite Marvel characters and I've just I've just been consumed in reading everything from the the Stanley John Buscema series and everything to getting more of the like the 80 series with Engelhart and Marshall Rogers I did read that uh, what what Derek mentioned the uh, Mike Allred and Dan slot series, which is Phenomenal, it made me a Doctor Who Fan, and I've never watched Doctor Who <laughs>
1: um,
2: But um, But yeah, so I, w- I was just really excited For this series um, I, I did hear of It, but I didn't read it in issues Because when I actually went to a, a comic Store, they only had the f- Like issues two and three at the time And I couldn't find issue one So I was like, alright, I'll wait until it's on Marvel Unlimited And I'll just kind of like catch up back there But i had heard from – for about a year now that this writer, Donnie Cates, is huge, and everybody has been talking this guy up. He is, like, becoming their new darling at Marvel over, like, the last year. But he had been writing a bunch of stuff that I didn't really care about for the longest time. He started out, like, writing, like, Venom books and Thanos books and stuff like that. I was like, I don't, I don't really care about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but finally he started writing – he started writing this series, and he started taking over the Guardians of the Galaxy – and I read those, and what I found out is that he's kind of drawing all of these things together. And the comparison, and Derek can maybe speak to this if he's read more of those, I think he – Donny Cates is becoming to like Marvel in terms of the symbiote and Venom and Carnage and all their symbiote stuff, what Jeff Johns was a decade ago to the Green Lantern mythos in terms of he is – sort of synthesizing a lot of disparate elements and creating a much deeper and richer mythology and just expanding this. Whether you like what Jeff Johns did with the Green Lanterns or not, or just in terms of just creating a depth and a bench of these different emotional cores and like things, that's what Donny Kate seems to be doing with the symbiotes and creating this whole mythology and what it goes back to in this character name. No, that is kind of popping up through all of his different stories and we'll see him in a little bit of this one. So I mean, Derek, am I, am I reading this right with my little experience with him? Yeah, yeah,
4: absolutely. I I think that's a sound analogy because the, I mean, to be honest, like I I was kind of like yourself, like I was, even even when they were doing the promotional material for those Guardians books, I mean the the fact that they had this swath of characters, you know, kind of, you know, saying, Oh, this is gonna be the new Guardians of the Galaxy, it's gonna be everybody and and so part of me was kinda like, oh the Silver Surfer's gonna be in it. Maybe I should check that out and this and that. But it kinda got to be the point where I was like, oh man, there's there's so many characters and I wasn't Exactly interested in paying attention to it, but I did kind of go back and and read some of those books that you were mentioning, just so you know just because i I think I read Silver Surfer Black on its own without having any context for those other books, but I did go back and read some of those other books like I read Venom and I read Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that, just to see kind of like well what what exactly was going on alongside you know this mini series and everything and and i I would totally agree with your analogy it makes perfect sense like he's I mean, one, he he seems to be, like you said, a darling right now. Like a lot of people, you know, y- y- they say his name, and I, I'd imagine it'd be like when you know Sc- Scott Snyder goes to these conventions, and all these people like you know swarm him and create a a fire hazard in the um, <laughs> you know, in the in the elevator or whatever it is, you know, something like that. Because it seems like he's he's been you know fairly you know popular, and 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 probably also to some people, you know, there's there's some sense of controversy attributed to you know, all popular writers, you know, like whether you're happy with the changes made to Green Lantern or happy with the changes to the symbiote. Like, it's funny, I, I posted some stuff and a buddy of mine is like, oh, isn't it funny how, you know, this guy, Noel, who's at the dawn of time, you know, has a, a spider emblem, you know, millions of billions of years before Spider-Man. But then like, the more I read the stories and looked at it, I was like, oh, that's not really a spider, is it? It's it's a dragon because he turns into like this symbiote dragon. So, I'm you know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of I, I think I think I'm a little more willing to go along with these sort of they're they're kind of like little mini retcons and changes of things you know they kind of insert the the symbiote god into things like Thor and stuff whereas it wasn't really a part of that arc previously but now it seems to be like you're saying he's he's sort of making these little tethers to sort of pull things into more of a, a tightly knit Marvel sweater I guess.
1: You guys are, we guys both answered uh, my next question, which was where are you on the Silver Surfer as a as a lead character, because I've never been that big of a fan of his as a lead guy. I certainly love him in the Fantastic Four or, like, in the Defenders or Battling Hulk or whatever. But as a lead, I've always been kind of like, eh, he's just kind of so mopey and and constantly pining for, for you know, <laughs> his girlfriend and, oh, what have I done? And I was like, eh, I don't know. I certainly – let him mean that cover by John Buscema where he's striking – Going after Thor is one of, like, the great Marvel images of all time. And I have not read the Michael Lowe Red series, even though everyone has said it's really, really good. And I have to add it to the list of things that I need to read in 2020. So I was coming to this pretty cold. You know, I, didn't, I haven't read a Silver Surfer comic in a long time. Uh, I, I, you know, I had a bare-bones idea of what the plot was. He t- deals with this character, and he takes a called null, and he, there's this thing with Galactus, and then Ego, the Living Planet. But I picked it up obviously because it's a treasury, and I was like, "Oh, obviously Marvel must be really proud of this if they're collecting it already into a treasury edition, like, and you know, a pretty pricey one. Like the price point's like, I think twenty four ninety five or something like that. It's a really handsome looking book with these uh, matte finished covers and stuff, a uh, wraparound cover, and then the main image is Silver Surfer, just him by himself with his hand posed towards the camera, and there'll be images. Uh, that you can see uh, over on the website, foreignwaterpodcast.com. And then you've got his uh, his left arm poking up, and we see that his hand has been turned into this sort of blackness with these little color squiggles uh, through sort of the bones of his hand or the the colored reflection. And that, to me, gives you an indication of the incredible coloring that you're going to see inside <laughs> this series. I mean, for, for a series called Silver Surfer Black, uh, this is one of the most, you know, eye-gouging, in a good way, Colored series of, I've ever seen. And so um, I have the synopses for these five issues. They're very, very brief because I didn't want to get bogged down on, on explaining this for, for too long. So we're going to do it one issue at a time, and then we'll go through it. And, and like I said, we can get into all the details that we want. So the first issue, uh, it's a number, which is simply called One. And it opens with the Silver Surfer in an attempt to stop the Black Order from stealing Thanos' corpse, uses all of his powers, and finds himself thrown into an abyss beyond time and space. Recalling how he is perceived as the bringer of death by countless worlds when he was the Herald of Galactus, the Silver Surfer finds himself on a remote world ruled by a creature known as Null. While fighting Null, the dark abyss of this world infects Silver Surfer, leaving him with a blackened hand. So, Derek, this character, Null, is this, was this a character in comics before this series? Or was this brand new? To, I think it was
4: like I, you know, you know, the the one thing I'm going to lament is uh, Comic DB is officially down and and that that site's gone away and that was like my left hand when it came to like chronology type <laughs> stuff. So when I even when I was doing like a read through for for some of this stuff, I read it. I'm pretty sure Venom technically is the first time Null shows up, but they they've tried to retroactively say that. Uh, sorry, I, this is all conflated confusing backstory stuff but basically like in Thor like the series that came out in like 2013 there's a character called Gore the God Butcher and he hates all gods because gods basically ruined his life and so of course he's an arch villain of Thor because Thor's a god and so there was an instant where they deal with his origin and they show how his family was affected by different warring gods. And there was kind of like a gold-armored god and a black-armored god. And when they both fight, they crash into the planet and, and end up killing his family. But he takes one of their swords, and I think retroactively Donny Cates made it so that the the black-armored god was Null. So then you, you've got this, like, again, tether to, to all these different characters and everything. But I think the first time you, you hear of Null is... In the the Venom ongoing series, where Eddie Brock keeps hearing like all these weird voices and stuff, and 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 like the symbiotes start going kind of more crazy than they normally would, and and the notion is that they can sense that their god is coming, and and that that was the whole thing. Like I I think you know it's this alien translated language, and then it's like oh God is coming is what they're actually saying, and it turns out that. This symbiote, the planet, is not so much a planet, but it's all the symbiotes being used as a cage for Null. So it's like a planet-sized cage to keep him captured. So, so I mean, it, basically, they, they really try to amp up the, I guess, the big badness of this character. And I think for me, I guess, my first exposure to the character was in Silver Surfer Black, And the fact that he's going up against Silver Surfer, like somebody imbued with the power cosmic, I mean that if you're on that playing level, I I think to me that's, I mean, you know that that's kind of good enough that I can I can see like, oh, this guy must really mean serious business if he's going to be able to go toe to toe and actually cause problems for Silver Surfer. And then I guess just as a side note, you you talked about the treasury format. I just want to say like. Man, like that—that's one of those things where it's like the minute I took it out of the shrink wrap and put my grubby little fingerprints all over it, like the the black, like you immediately like ruined the the mint value of it. Yep, 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 yep. You, you can see your fingerprints. It's like, oh, clearly this is a Derek-owned Silver Surfer Black Treasury because there's all these little Derek fingerprints all over it. And everything. Why well, was so I eating I, a meatball you
2: know. sub when I started to read this? <laughs>
1: This book will uh, this book will be uh, very valuable in many years because there'll be so few copies in mint condition that anybody will be a, anybody will be able to find. They're, they're, they're going to have the wall book that says like
4: no fingerprints, you know, <laughs> super super duper mint.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, silver surfer, grayish. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean,
1: what did you think, uh, Ryan? What did you think of the artwork in this? Because like I am not familiar with Trad Moore at all, and taking a look at it it kind of reminds me a little bit of um sort of like Tim Sale mixed with Craig Hamilton ah, you know, i can where, see that yeah where it's this kind of these bodies are sort of not exactly normal human shapes they're kind of a little more rubbery and and the anatomy's a little wonky but the design is so intricate and and sort of phantasmagorical i mean good lord the um I think it's page three of this or page four, we get this incredible shot looking right up like the Silver Surfer's crotch, for, for lack of a better term. And in the background, we see Beta Ray Bill and all the Guardians of the Galaxy flying around with this battle. I mean, it, it, uh, it doesn't look like any Silver Surfer story that I'm terribly familiar with where it really is sort of this phantasmagorical kind of dream-like thing. And I,
2: I really liked
1: that. I really thought it was pretty sharp.
2: Yeah, the the scene, by the way, this is a direct lift, for, well, not an, an artistic lift, but the scene is in Donny Cates' Guardians of the Galaxy, Vol- or issue one, okay. uh, when he starts okay. it. Like, this, this scene, like, this is spinning right out of that, because, as Derek mentioned, like, Thanos was killed, and they're having, like, the last will and testament to find out, okay, what is his secret dastardly plan that he's concocted <laughs> after death? So you get, like, 30 cosmic characters showing up there, like, you know, Quasar, the Starjammers. Like everybody is like going to like this place to like find out what it is. There's an ambush from like the Dark Order, his his, uh, his character his lieutenants from Infinity War movie, if you've seen it. Um, they detonate this bomb that basically opens up a black hole, and the only survivors, the only people to get out of here are Beta Ray Bill, the new cosmic ghost writer, which is also a, a Donny Cates thing, I think. Um, Phyla and Moondragon, and then they're picked up by Star Lord and Groot and become the new guardians. Everybody else. Has disappeared or was presumably dead, including Silver Surfer, until this, when you kind of find out what happened to him. But, oh, okay, all right. Okay. Yeah. Getting back to uh, what it, like the art and everything, like you're you're absolutely right, and like the way you described it, sort of like rubbery. It took me a little bit of getting used to because like that that first shot of Silver, I was like, okay, he's humanoid, but he definitely looks distinctly more alien than I'm used to. Right. Um, like like just like the pose and everything, like the, the triangular shape of his face, but like the fluidity. There's still a little bit. There's still a grace to it that kind of like works for this type of story and this type of setting, and with a character like him but like even a character like galactus and everything just looks like like rubber bands just like tied to each other and everything mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it really gets like in the last page of the first one when we see null and you see like his hair which is just like looks like folds of like fabric and everything like that it's it's not actual hair it just seems like a solid mass that's just gonna wrap there. and then the sword that he's holding looks like it has kind of, like, dried but sort of, like, rubberized blood over it yep, to give it this yep. red effect and everything like that. Like, it doesn't look like a viscous liquid. It looks solid, but it has, like, the the sort of feel or the look of, like, sort of, like, arteries and internal organs and stuff like that just kind of over it. It's a, a really striking design.
1: It reminds me a bit of kind of when the, the what the – Alec, the uh, Ashton, oh, shoot the character from two thousand and one goes into the, the the kind of like the star Chamber effect where everything is just yeah. crazy colors and stretched out i mean that 's to me that 's the effect that both Trad Moore and then Dave Stewart as the colorist is going for and i really I was I was really struck by it, and it was you know i 'm always talking about how well these stories work as treasuries i mean does it does it uh, benefit something from seeing it at this larger size and this thing really does i mean it's it 's simply gorgeous to look at. Yeah, I I
4: was familiar with Tradmore's artwork mainly because I, I another one of my favorite Marvel characters is Ghost Rider. And when they did, like, the all-new Ghost Rider with Robbie Reyes, like, he was one of the people doing the art on that title for the initial arc. And, like, it worked interestingly in that because I think it was, like, it was set in East L.A. and there was a lot of, like, graffiti and different things going on. So I felt like, I, I, in that context, I almost felt like the entire book was, like, this giant kind of mural graffiti painting that was done in comic book form. But then with this, because it has like the alien aspect and the outer space aspect, I guess if I was going to give you like a Hollywood pitch, I'd say it's like it's like Jack Kirby and H.R. Geiger had a baby. You know? Like (laughs) and, and then that's what what is in Silver Surfer Black. Because like especially like the the like I think in what is it, like the fifth issue where they have the the cover where it's just like he's all in black, and he's kind of like hunched up in that kind of fetus looking form i mean that that totally reminds me of like one of those little you know alien you know egg you know like uh what do you call them? face huggers and, and all that kind of, you know, it's, it's got, it's got, you know, kind of, kind of what Ryan was describing with the sword. Like there's a, there's a sense of organic constitution there, but yet yeah. it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feel like it's liquid or, or, you know, it's, it's fluid, but yet solid, you know, like, so it's, it's this kind of weird dichotomy in the, in the style.
2: I was I also, thinking of the name H.R. Geiger too, and I like I like the, the Jack Kirby and H.R. Geiger. I would add just like with also a touch of some sort of anime or manga style um, to for for some of Null and his like design, like when you get like facial expressions from him and everything.
1: I was also going to suggest there's a little bit of Little Nemo in Slumberland in here, kind of uh, mm-hmm. Winter mm-hmm. McKay with his mm-hmm. dream like. Stuff. I mean, right when he goes to Knoll's castle, I love that the door is like impossibly huge. It reminds me <laughs> of that scene in Return of the Jedi where the Sierra <laughs> and Archie to go to Jabba's door and the door is like impossibly large, and then Noel's hand comes out and drags Silver Zephyr in. I- uh, he's like, hello, little son. And he just j- j- pulls him right in, and that's where we get the big reveal. And then, uh, and I don't know whether this is an original to the Treasury or or this came with the they had this in the in the original issues. But um, this the the chapter break comes with a the bonus cover by Mike Zeck, uh, which was a variant cover, and it's great. It's Silver Surfer just flying over an impossibly detailed New York City. So I don't know if this was something that was in the original issues or they decided to kind of collect this for the Treasury. But it's a it's a nice little detail. And good Lord, I love Mike Zeck, so it's nice to see him uh, doing this. So and then you get uh, chapter two where you have this as uh, as Derek talks about you've got Silver Surfer in this kind of fetal position with his black hand. Uh, it says, Silver Surfer continues to do his battle with Null and finds the Dark Abyss continuing to take him over. After being displaced billions of years in the past, the Surfer is contacted by a mysterious force who wants to help him, which turns out to be Ego, the Living Planet. So I mean, I mean, good lord, Donnie Cates is really swinging for the fences here with like the biggest of big characters. Uh, but before we get to Ego, I mean, again, a lot of this is this battle between Silver Surfer and Null. Uh, I mean, like, Ryan, what did you think of this overall as this fight? Because I, my, part of my problem with cosmic characters is their powers are so undefined. You know what I mean? It's, they're just kind of like... Blast! All right, I'll blast you. All right, I'll blast more. And I'm like, I don't know what the
2: stakes are exactly in this, but how did you feel like it worked? Yeah, I I, I understand that. I, I'm sort of, I just kind of come to terms with it. Like, if you if you get into this character, you have to understand that. Um, and certainly something that Derek mentioned, I mean, like, once once you've got a character as powerful as the Silver Surfer and everything that he's capable of, you really, I mean, if there's a villain who's going to scare him and put him on the defensive, <laughs> right. you really have to show what this ki- villain is capable of. And I think just the art sells this so much, like, uh, I don't know what page it is in Chapter 2, but there's the, the point where, like, the whole planet seems to be, like, unfurling as, like, this, like, starfish this squid like thing, like in even like, like you get these red tentacles that sort of evoke like the venom or the symbiote, like tongue and everything, but they're just like impossible squiggles and everything. As Silver Surfer is racing out of this thing and Noah's chasing it, and just like the if there was going to be problems with it just being two god like cosmic characters just throwing all of their energy at him, I that could get boring, but the art saves it the art carries it because it's just so trippy in places and and when you get the spread of null riding this demon dragon thing this impossibly large chasing the silver server where his hands are blending into just this color of like these vapor trails that he's leaving behind it's yeah the, the the yeah the incredibility of the art is makes this anything but boring
1: yeah, uh, Derek. What did you think of bringing in ego into this into this story? I, I thought it was cool at first. I, I I feel like
4: he he that that Donny Kate's kind of not. I I think sort of made it mysterious because at first when he started calling him Harold, I started wondering like, oh, is is somehow Galactus powerful enough to to reach back into the dawn of time and help his. You know, help his Herald, like like that, because I I thought who else is gonna call him Herald but Galactus, and then and then that kind of you know basically you know bamboozled me, you know, because then then it turns out it is it is ego the living planet, and you know that kind of makes sense because you you've got somebody who who can be you know it's like somebody who's familiar to Marvel comics readers but yet you know it's like he's young enough where he doesn't have his stash yet i guess you know like like it's like it's like it's like you know he can be at the dawn of time and it's not it's not so incredulous that you you're you're kind of like oh that's not believable you know it's not like it's not like it goes back to the dawn of time it's like yo it's jubilee you know it's like that doesn't work right like it's like it's like it's like you know it's like it makes sense that he's there right so.
1: <laughs> what are the inhumans doing here <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no I I did I liked it I mean like you say Ryan you have to kind of accept that this is the rules of, yeah it's like if if, if Silver Surfer is Fighting this guy to a standstill, uh, then yeah, he's really powerful because we know how powerful the Silver Surfer is, and you have to just kind of go with that. And I kind of like Null's design; he looks like he's a member of Kiss, sort of. With the, guy he looks like Gene Simmons in a lot of ways. Uh, and like I said, I love the the colors by Dave Stewart are just amazing. These sort of beautiful hues, and I love the sort of all the the blues that. So there's one page of Silver Surfer just flying through these these ribbons of blues and purples. Uh, as he's being chased, and he's being he's talked he's being talked to by ego, but he doesn't know it. Uh, he just doesn't know who he's. And when the ego calls him Noren, uh, you know, Silver Surfer's like, "Did you say Noren?" Like he doesn't. Who's this guy talking to me? And then when you get to that final page reveal. Of ego, it is just—it looks like every black light poster you would have seen in nineteen seventies college dorms. I mean, it's just—it's unreal. And I love—it's got a great hook at the end where Silver Surfer flies right up to the mouth of Ego, and then he just says, "Shall we kill a god?" Which is, you know, an amazing hook for the end of the second issue. It's—I I love that reveal. I mean, Ego is one of those concepts that's. Um, is so insane that, again, I think it's like if you – although now, of course, he's been in movies. People have to accept it. Uh, but, I mean, in comics, you just kind of ran with it because you're like, all right, sure, we have, a living, we have a living planet. Sure, why not? Why not do that? And that final reveal is just terrific. Uh, so um, we're going to move on to uh, issue three. Again, there's another page of the uh, variant covers. There's all sorts of – there's one by uh, Marcus Martin, one by Mike Diodato, one by Gerald Parrell, and then Nick Bradshaw and John rauch It's like – I, I knew that uh, Modern Comics was uh, happy about the variant covers but uh, I didn't they went this crazy.
2: I but, love uh, the Marco Martin one. Like he I, I got to really like his artwork on Spider-Man a couple of years ago but the I Shattered I really Black Face.
1: A yeah, yeah, it's really sharp yeah. retar- and you see him in, in his own reflection in his own eye. So now we get to issue 3 which features another amazing cover uh, with Silver Surfer standing in the middle of I keep using this word in the middle of all the phantasmagoria of of Ego the Living Planet. You've got these plants. It's just amazing. Again, we'll have that on the website. So in issue three, Ego the Living Planet explains to the Silver Surfer that he interfered to make sure that Surfer did not become a puppet of Null, which would lead to Null-destroying Ego. Ego then reveals that a strange meteor crashed into him eons ago, and the Surfer volunteers to extract it. The meteor turns out to be Lifebringer 1, the incubator of his past and future master, Galactus. Uh, this issue opens with a flashback of silver Surfer with his uh, his love Shalabal uh, as they 're uh, waking up uh, on their planet and we see basically th- the moment that galactus arrives uh, in his in a weird way of like basically how he became how silver Surfer became uh, the 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 what 's the herald of galactus and it reminds me just a little bit of like Again, bringing up Star Wars: Force Awakens, where the the uh, pl- the planet Storm—what's the name of that thing? Stormbreaker. Star- what Star-Killer. the name? Star Killer Base blows up the planet, and we see briefly a bunch of these aliens on this uh, kind of like this uh, deck or a balcony, watching this beam come and destroy them. Uh, but it opens. Like I said it's a nice open where we get this nice reveal of of Shalabal and norman rad before they before everything went to shit basically uh so uh derek what did you think of the third issue i i love it
4: i i love that picture of Shalabal. and and i think i think that was one of the the moments where i i realized that this is kind of the the living proof of what i was talking about before where i said it wasn't trying to sort of ride on the coattails of the, the slot Alred stuff, you know. It, it wasn't trying to go back to, you know, p- previous, I guess, uh, the renowned series. Like, they, they kind of went back to the core and, and and did the sort of classic, you know, Kirby Lee-type stuff. And you've got, you know, Shallow Ball there. And, like, you, you know what's interesting about this is, it's like, it's it's a... For all intents and purposes, it should be something that's just very naturalistic. But it also, I mean, in some ways... The the beauty of Shallow Ball is is again like what you were saying like phantasmagoric you know like like it's like one of those things where it's like I could sit there and just look at this panel like all day long because it's it's very very pretty you know like like and and it, it's interesting because I think sometimes people may get into a a rut where they think, oh, this is, you know, two talking heads or 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 not this is not the action part of the story, right? There's not there's not gods and monsters and cosmic powers being, you know, throttled back and forth at each other. But I mean I I really, really like the way that this whole sequence is framed. And I mean it's an important part of the story too. You know, the, the idea that, you know, maybe Zen Law itself is not the brightest light in the universe but that that you know there's the potential for the two of them to to bring some light into that universe so i i mean i i I do like that whole sequence and i think it's an important part of the story
1: yeah i i love the coloring of it because it feels like they're bathed in sunlight which is really really very sweet and very you know you really get the sense of like how, how happy they are until everything goes really bad
2: that's you. Remind, you mentioned how Treadmore's art kind of reminds you of Tim Sale too. I really see it with Shalabal. Like, yeah, yeah. like her eyes—they're just a little bit too impossibly big that you can just slip and fall into them. It reminds hmm. me of how Tim Sale drew Lois Lane. Um mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and yeah I I really dig it it's such a poignant moment like when they're they're lying in bed as the sun is coming up they're talking about having a kid and then boom you see the effect out their window and they come to see this moment where as as Galactus would be their destroyer except it's not Galactus it no. is Silver Surfer in the black uh, as this sort of we're getting a, this conflagration of his flashback and his nightmare as we see like what uh, what destiny might befall him. Um, but then once it kind of comes back and he's talking to ego, this like <laughs> my, my favorite moment in this entire series is when, um, He's, like, agreed to, like, work with Ego to help him. And he, he actually says um, – he asked for me. He's like, Ego, may I land on you? And and Ego's like, you may. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that all the times that people have to, like, go on Ego and, like, fight him and, like, do all these things. It's like, nobody ever asks if they can land on me. It's like I'm a, I'm a living being. You're fighting <laughs> on my eyebrows.
1: Come on. <laughs> yeah, I do. I did. I did enjoy that a lot. I also notice in this third issue is – pretty much the first use of any sound effects. This, this book really didn't have, doesn't have sound effects too much. But once we're on Ego, you've got Rumble and Brum, Like, all of a sudden, it becomes uh, very much like uh, Walter Simonson and John Workman, where they would work the sound effects into the artwork and stuff. But, I mean, to, to this point, they'd been pretty sparing with uh, the sort of typical comic booky sound effects. But then once he's on Ego, then it then becomes a kind of a lot more uh, Marvel traditional in some ways. And then... Of course, it culminates in the final page where he finds Lifebringer 1 and then we're seeing uh, Trad Moore's interpretation, of course, Jack Kirby technology, which is in its own way Fantasmic Oracle because it's – the the stuff is all metal and mechanical and yet looks very fluid and doesn't look like any technology anybody ever saw outside of a Jack Kirby comic. And again, I love that final shot of Silver Surfer flying up the Lifebringer world because again, Jack Kirby's – um, mechanical design was unlike anything else and it's so recognizable so it's neat to see trad and dave stewart sort of their take on on what jack kirby was doing um so uh at the end of the said at the end of the third issue uh that's we, he's he's face to face with lightbringer one so he picks up with issue four on that cover is the uh, silver surfer flying now at the point his arm is now all black and then we see uh This uh, conflagration behind him and in the the fire is the face of Galactus. And so it starts off with Silver Surfer still displaced in time. He prepares to change all of history by erasing Galactus from existence before he is ever born. But then Uatu, watch the Watcher, appears and tells him to come with him, but is there really to stop the Silver Surfer, insisting that Collectus must be born to keep the balance of light and dark in the universe. The Black Abyss continues to take over Surfer's body, and as Null prepares to strike again, the Surfer, once again, asks for Ego's help. Alright, so Derek, uh, what do we think of the... Introduction of Uatu in this.
4: Oh, it's it's super cool. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Like he's got to be there when when big life bringing events go down. I guess maybe to to put some color onto some of the dialogue. I think that Uwatu says like he goes into like all these different. Potential possible futures, you know. He talks about how there's you know alternate branches, you know, so called what ifs that would take place, and you know he talks about you know in one you grow old with your wife and children. I mean that could be conceivably you know a nod to to you know the the uh, Dan Slott stuff. Or they talk about you know, in one you live until the end of time and die at the hands of Thanos while wielding uh, Millioner. Like um, that could be the um, the Donny Cates run on Thanos basically where they introduce cosmic ghost rider and all this other stuff. Cause there's, there's a, you know, sort of rip van Thanos with a gigantic beard. That's, you know, at the end of time who's basically, you know, defeated everybody. So that that's another, you know, thing here. So they, he, he's kind of giving nods to some of his own past stories and, and potentially other people's past stories as well, which is
2: kind of, cool. I also think future stories because Donny Cates is starting Thor soon. Yeah, yeah. So I think he's seeding a future story as well.
1: Oh, interesting! I didn't know. Again, I didn't know any of that. All right, that's really interesting. Uh, what did, Ryan? What did you think of this one?
2: I liked it a lot. I mean, I love this this concept. Just going back to the crux of, you know, Silver Surfer. He's got so much. He's got unfathomable amounts of blood on his hands. And, and they've done things to kind of like kind of like how much of his participation in the destruction of these planets was his, his being a willing participant and how much of it was he was a pawn and emotionally manipulated by Galactus. They've, they've talked about those things, but ultimately he's in this point where he's like, and we're reminded of it. We see it earlier in the series. All of the planets that were destroyed and all of the planets that he watched die. And now he has the chance to say, I could undo all of that. I could save Billions or trillions of lives by killing this thing, and Uatu comes and it has like there's a physical like a a astrophysical argument to it as well as a philosophical philosophical argument. It's like that's not how time works and that's not how guilt works. It's like you're not you're not going to change that. It's like those planets still did die and it was still your fault and you have to live with that. And and Galactus has a part in the galaxy that you have to reconcile. Um, so I just, yeah, I think that's, it's just a great little, for, I mean, again, the art makes sure that this is not just a talky, heady <laughs> philosophical yeah, yeah. issue. The art makes sure that it's never as simple as that, but it kind of is. And it's, it's just a great little discussion there. And, and Silver Server having to kind of look into his own soul and can he, now knowing the consequences, can he actually murder one more person? And he can't.
1: There's a great moment where – a visual moment where he's talking to Galactus before he becomes Galactus and when he's saying, should I be – should I – aren't you going to tell me my crimes before I'm going to get executed for them? And the Silver Surfer is floating above Galactus and then he walks down to the ground so he can sort of look in my eye, eye. And then we see that Silver Surfer has transmogrified his surfboard into a stairwell. And he's walking he's using it to walk down onto the ground. And that's like it's a minor moment, but I really like that. I like the idea that the surfboard is malleable like that. I don't remember that ever being a thing. Is that has that been in the Marvel comics before? That the that the surfboard is not just this solid object that it can actually change at the will of the surfer?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's they've done it. Well, I mean, they did that earlier in this series when he basically turned it into a drill for his, when he had to pierce when he had to go to the core of ego. Oh, that's true. That's um, right. That's right. I yeah, I think I mean the slot Slatten Allred played with the the surfboard, um, and and kind of gave it a little bit more character, uh, a little bit of its own identity, as if it was semi sentient too. Um, did it actually change shape like that? I.
4: I'm trying to remember, like, I'm pretty sure it did. Like,
2: I think so, I, yeah. I, I
4: mean, I, mean I, I know that that's been a thing for a while. Like, it's not like they haven't done that, but if I had to, like, sort of nail it down, like, when that kind of stuff started, I, I
2: couldn't tell you. I mean, Norrin was able to take part of his, like, silver skin off him and give it to... Don, his sort of yeah. companion yeah. in that series, as an, a kind of cosmic tracking device there. So I know that there is, yeah, they definitely played with some malleability with the, the seven and the surfboard too, as it wasn't just like this physical construct that it could be changed.
1: I just thought thought that was such a nice little detail of just him turning it into this holster. But you just hear him walking, talking to Galactus. And so the issue ends with uh, Ego saying, what will you do? And he says – and he's got his – he's got the power cosmic in his fist and he says burn because at that point half his chest and his arm – has now been turned into the black, and that's the end of the fourth issue. And then we get some more variant covers, including an, Amer- an amazing Mary Jane variant. I have no idea what that <laughs> was. There like a Mary Jane month, I
2: guess. Anymore? Yeah, yeah.
4: Okay. There, there was a, a month where every <laughs> cover had Mary Jane on it. Gotcha. So, yeah. All
2: right, yeah. Okay, and that's cause... a damn good one seeing her in like the silver.
1: <laughs> like that. But, oh yeah, it's a great I'm image still... by David Nakayama. Yeah, it's really it's really funny. But I was again, I'm coming to the so called I'm like, what? What's the Mary Jane thing? I don't know what that's (laughs) about. So uh, so then we get to the the fifth issue, and on the cover for that one is Silver Surfer completely completely enveloped in black. And he doesn't seem to have any real solid corporeal form because he's sort of morphing into his board a little bit. There's some highlights on the color and he is uh, weeping. And the story is uh, Silver Surfer battles Null one last time, still hopscotching through time and seeing worlds from all over the galaxy, including one that seems to worship him as a god. Using all of his power, Silver Surfer defeats Null and dies in the process, sort of. The Silver Surfer is able to return back to the present at the exact moment he left it, but now with a reconstituted body that is entirely black. So, okay, Derek, uh, what do we think of the conclusion to this?
4: I liked it. I mean, I I thought it was great. Like, Silver Surfer, I mean, you know, the way they sort of established that, you know, Null is a symbiote god dragon – and and the way that they have silver surfer turn his board into like the sword of a you know essentially like a space knight like that that's that's a great way to have the two of them you know battle against one another and then you know also dealing with like the philosophical aspect of of what Ryan was talking about i mean there there is something when you when you actually sort of consider it you know the 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 reason why they went into great detail over exactly which planets he was involved in the, the destruction of is because he's the one who goes and and creates all those planets in the Marvel universe. So in in some ways it's like it, it, it's kind of funny. It's almost like it, you you feel funny because it's like oh Silver Surfer Black was all about a ledger, you know, like like you know a a, a sort of you know I guess a, a ledger of of light and dark, but like you know that that that's kind of I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. I, I'm. I was super curious to see where they'd go with it, and it's funny because I feel like the rest of of the Marvel universe doesn't quite know where Donny Cates is going with it yet. So I, I I don't feel comfortable. You know, like in some of the, the the appearances he's he's had since then, you you either get the idea, oh, nobody got the memo, he was black, so they've quickly recolored him, or <laughs> They, they know that that's what's going on but they don't quite I mean I, I don't know exactly how that changes the silver surfer exactly and so it it, it kind of I, I don't know that it's fully the the ramifications of all that have fully been realized but I mean I I did enjoy you know the the final battle and and reading this and I like I, I guess I think Donny Cates has a good sense of like the Silver Surfer's voice, you know, just in general across all the five issues. Like to me, it it sounds like the Silver Surfer. I know sometimes, you know, you can read something by you know some modern writers and you feel like the dialogue balloons could be transposed to any character, but I feel like I feel like most of the the Silver Surfer. Dialogue is explicitly something that that Rad would say. And then and then speaking to somebody like yourself, you mentioned, you know, sometimes it's hard for you to distinguish with with characters that are of such great cosmic magnitude. You know, then, you know, there's a power blast and a bigger power blast. And and you're kind of like, what are the stakes here? Like, I think. Just the the visual of of his body slowly being enveloped in the black, like that that's something that can show you the the stakes of mm-hmm. what's going on in the story. And 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 it's it's almost like you know I mean you know not to demean the story or anything, but it, it's almost like if you're playing a video game and you have a life bar and the life bar slowly <laughs> depletes over the course of your game, right? Like like here, you know, there's that kind of two page. It's not quite a two-page spread because there's all these panels transposed on the bottom and within it, but, you know, you see Knoll's head on the left side and the Surfer's head on the right side, and then, you you know, you see slowly, you know, these little images of, you know, kind of like a flat operation table. Silver Surfer, where, you know, he's got his arm and half of his face, but then it, it envelops, you know, his lower torso, and it envelops his, his thigh, and then it envelops his whole leg, and then it envelops his his, his left leg, and it just kind of proceeds to where it gets to the point where, you know, he's fought with Null so long, the, the only remaining parts of, of Silver, you know, are, are just, you know, part of his face and one of his arms, you know? And so at that point, you know, like... That that this is something that's he, he's basically, you know, down to the final, you know, final level of, of what what kind of light he can he can bring to this battle. And, and you, you you're you're visually you, you're just aware of the stakes that he's facing because he's he's kind of you can tell he's on his last leg. You know, he, he's only got so much silver on his body left. So there's only there's only so much more that, that he can give or so much more that where they can go from from there.
1: Yeah, I really did love the sequence where he recreates Zen La. And he create, there's that big final page where he creates the little flower mm-hmm. and he's talking about giving his power away. I mean, it, it is. It's very, very uh, powerful. I mean, it's that. I, I was. I've never been a huge fan of Silver Surfer. I just I just never been able to hook into the character. But I you know, this had a, a, a a real emotional punch to especially in that final panel where he's like he's engulfed in flames where he says zen la and he just bursts into flames and then there's that amazing full-page shot where he talks about uh that he is forgiven and we see the basically the creation of the new world and then it we see we cut across all these different galaxies all these different worlds and then we see the one he's like understanding that there's one planet that worships the silver surfer as a god and it's so yeah it's a it, it the scale of it i mean for what's going on in these first four issues, you have to come up with something huge to wrap it up with. You have to, it has to feel like there's a bigger conclusion to all this. And I think they're pretty much able to pull it off. Ryan, what did you think?
2: Exactly what you guys were saying. I mean, I, I loved this conclusion. I found it to be epic and poetic. Um, I mean, like, there's the whole, like, the, as a kind of a metaphor for what Null is and represents the god of the dark, the god of blackness, but also as a god of death. And, and Norn says you can't defeat. The black, you can't beat the dark, you can't defeat death essentially, but what can you do with the life that you have and can you find the light? And as his final sort of like sacrifice as he's dying, he gives up the essence of his own life to be a form of creation, and we see it creating Zen La, and then as his kind of cosmic ashes are spread as seeds throughout the galaxy, they become the seeds that create all of these different planets, and yeah, Derek mentioned they they name them. These are the planets that he and Galactus would go on to destroy, you know, millennia hence from here, but he, so in a sense, he's giving, he's rebirthing or retrobirthing these planets (laughs) that he was responsible for as a kind of atonement, um... And it is, yeah, it's beautiful. It reminds me of um, the end of All-Star Superman uh, as as a dying Superman. As his body is, de- is breaking down, he uses that energy to jumpstart the sun and, and to reignite it to save the world. And I think you're right when you have these cosmic level – I mean it's easy to just have them firing energy at each other. But a good cosmic writer and a good silver surfer writer knows that – you really have to take it beyond and you have to make it more than just the punching and the fighting that everybody loves. It has to be something that's like bigger on the scale of, creation, even, and that's what he does here, so I, I love it, and I love that there's a very, a real sense of ambiguity about the end, like, when he is all in black, what does that mean? Does that mean he has been, that he gave up all of his goodness and, and life to be, to to birth those planets, and now he is completely corrupted by the symbiotes? Or does it mean something else? That he's What does it mean that Silver Surfer is black now? Is he still a hero? Is he not? Well, that part is left to be seen, and we'll, we'll I'm sure Donny Cates has future planes for the character, but we'll find out.
1: Yeah, I wondered about that myself. Uh, the final page where he says, I return in the black, and we see it, you know, he is returning right to the moment basically where the, the book started. And I was like, Is really, is this what he's going to be now? He's going to be. This, you know, he's going to be the complete visual opposite of what, I mean, obviously they're going to get him back. He's the be, blue lightning,
2: he's the blue lightning Superman for, right, for another yeah. year or something. Yeah, like right. This they'll, stuff, I mean, they'll find a way to undo it. But for now, this is his status quo, it seems.
1: He's going to be the black surfer for a while, uh, which is okay. Okay. All right. That's oh, the way we're have doing it. Ski
2: poles. He should have been the black
3: racer. Yeah,
1: they're exactly. Black <laughs> racer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we are like, okay, wow. You know, like that's, uh, it, it. again, it's certainly playing at this size and this scale is kind of, you know, all credit to Donnie Cates for being able to pull this off. And I really did thoroughly enjoy this story. Uh, and, again, I, I, I want to go back and read the Mike Allred Silver Surfer because I think I'm a little more amenable to the character than I was before. And I really did enjoy this. And as a treasury, uh, it was highly enjoyable just to sit and and look at this thing at this size. And, then again, done and tried more. Dave Stewart and, and Clinton Cows with the lettering. I mean, they did an amazing job, and this is what a treasury – I'm glad that Marvel uh, clearly saw this for what it was. It must have sold pretty well and realized this thing was special and so gave it this deluxe treatment, and that's really cool. Now, uh, there is a couple couple other of bonus pages in the book. One is a dedication, and it says for Stan, and there is a single panel from the Muebis Silver Surfer graphic novel that came out, I think, what, like in the 80s when that came yeah. out? Um, and that uh, talks about Silver Server talking about you know, why they fight and how they do it. And then there is a a, a little um, message from Donny Cates talking about the time he met Stan Lee. So, guys, did this appear in the original miniseries or is this original to the Treasury?
2: His his letter, Cates' letter, was in the end of uh, – it was in issue one because I, I did read that on Marvel okay. Unlimited. Okay. That was packaged with Silver Server issue one.
1: Okay, there's, it's a, there's a great story, and I don't know whether this is true or not. It feels a little too perfect mm-hmm. to, be, to be true, but who cares? You know, it's, it's adding to the, the, the legendary nature of Stan Lee, where apparently a little young Donny Cates met Stan Lee at a comic convention and said something about that he'll never be able to thank him for all the work that Stan Lee did, and he'll never be able to, to really thank him. And Stan Lee apparently said, sure you can, go ahead, try. <laughs> and, and, and you know, here we are now. Donnie Cates writing the you know a, a very well regarded Silver Surfer uh, miniseries. So it's very sweet, and you know, it's one of the great. You know, it's like Stan Lee and at times is probably the, the, exactly the person you want him to be. He was just Stanley all the time. Uh, and then in the back there is a bunch of sketch material. There's uh, all these pencil pieces, and then we see the final versions uh, by Trad Moore, and uh, and that's the end of this treasury. And it you know, it's a Really solid collection, and I'm th- I'm so glad that I well look. I'm so happy Marvel's uh, e- even in a small way back in the treasury business. Apparently, they're going to do another treasury next month. So I'm hoping this sells well uh, because this is great. I'm happy to see these books again, and and it was really cool for the Silver Surfer to get this big story, and it's, it's perfect for a treasury format. So overall, guys, like, do you, did you either one of you guys actually have? The you said you've been fingering it, but like, did you you both actually own a copy of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Yeah. What do you what did you think of it? At what uh, Ryan, let me start with you. What did you think of it as a solid as, as a, um, a a single collection uh, uh, as a treasury edition?
2: I, I mean it's it's great It's beautiful I mean from your Like like the, uh, the The matte finishes On the cover The back The front and back And everything Like just the inside um, I, At first when I looked at it, I thought it had A dust jacket But it's not It's like part of The actual cover But inside you get This little original piece Of surfer Like along the bottom With like this Little trail mm-hmm. um, I, I mean I, I can't imagine Reading this At a smaller scale I can't see What the point Of that would be Like <laughs> I'm even Trying to imagine Somebody who would Have read this story On the Phone and just being like, "Oh, you poor bastard!" (laughs) Like, um, no, yeah, I am. I am happy that this is one of one of my um, uh, my Silver Surfer collections. Now I have this right next to my oversized uh, Silver Surfer parable, which was the uh, Mobus uh, Stanley graphic novel. I got these two standing next to each other now because they're about the same size.
1: very nice, Derek. What did you think of it as a you know a single sort of edifice?
4: I, I thought it was cool. I was surprised at first because I think I think when when Ryan first mentioned it to you, and then you mentioned it to me, I was kind of like, "Oh, did they did they really collect like the whole thing?" And you know, I don't know. I guess I was just thinking of it like you know the the way they sort of trade collect stories lately and stuff. And I was thinking, "Oh, that sounds like almost like it would be too big for a for a, a, a treasury." But but I, I think it worked really really well. And like I think it sort of takes the best of like it, it's almost like the the kind of die cut foil embossed '90s cover type thing, like because I mean it really is a very special cover because you have kind of like this kind of it's almost like a a uh, a matte black which is what all the fingerprints get on and then and then it's like the the Silver Surfer in the foreground is this very glossy you know imprint that's you know, foistered on the matte black, and then right, to offset yeah. to offset, like the black hand, it, the 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 hand is glossy black with that kind of. I guess I I've been calling it in my head like the the fruitcake vision or whatever it is. Like it's got <laughs> like all those kind of different you know uh, melodious kind of uh, northern lights colors that kind of I don't know leak out of his veins I guess or whatever and 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 so like that I think is just really. I I I think it's a really, really nice presentation as far as, you know, for, for something that's that's a treasury, like if you wanna sort of just isolate and kind of show people, oh, this is a special format and it and it, you know, it it's it's a really worthwhile format, like I think that's that's definitely the way to go. I I, I like that it has all the the sort of it, it doesn't uh, neglect any of the special material, you know, the the letter from Donny Cates, the 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 sort of sketches, the the variant covers, and everything that were involved throughout the production of the miniseries. Like, I think it's cool that they have, you know, it, it's nice. They it, it's like getting a you know a souped up DVD Blu-ray with all the the special features, you know. So I I, I think it's definitely worth worth people's while.
1: All it needed is a, a die cut back cover. You can make the Silver Surfer little die cut on your own. You get your get your scissors <laughs> out and cut up your your twenty six dollars Silver Surfer Black Treasury Edition. Yeah, <laughs> it's only what, what, no, no
4: no no. Uh, connect the dots, uh, create null, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah,
1: it should be a page like,
2: that you can color it yourself. You know, yeah, he right. To, like, gives his own little color code for <laughs> this, is, this is what color this should be and.
1: See if you can find the words in this puzzle. Symbiote, to Null, and uh, Zen La, and all this. <laughs> it could just ruin Sha-la-ball. your comic. <laughs> Shalabal. exactly. So, well, he said this, this is a great book. I'm so happy it exists. I love learning about it. Like I said, I'm so out of touch with what's going on in sort of modern comics that I didn't know this series existed. And now it's, it's – I have it collected in this form, and I really did enjoy it. It would, it would make an amazing like animated movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could do it as a live action now, too, but uh, we'll have to see how Marvel the MCU handles the Silver Surfer, but it's a great collection. It's a little pricey, but you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on in-stock trades, and if you're a Silver Surfer fan, or even if, like me, you're kind of not... Uh, it's, a, it's a great story It features all the big Marvel cosmic characters And, and uh, I hope Marvel does more of these I hope after they do this one And the history of the Marvel Universe Or wherever that series is next month They do they do more of this uh, the, I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of this format And I'd like to see it uh, out more So it's uh, really really cool So anyway guys Thank you so much for both Stopping by on the show to do this I, I had a blast It was thank a you pleasure thank you. Yeah. All right, so Derek why don't you tell people Where they can find you on the internets
4: yeah if people want to uh, check out the chronological history of comic books on film and television they can go over to hocof.blogspot.com i've got my video series history of comics on film there and if you like listening to podcasts about comics and other pop culture paraphernalia you can go check out the fanholes podcast on a uh, fanholespodcast.blogspot.com very cool ryan what about you
2: You can find me on this very network, the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I am the host of several shows, uh, Cheerscast, Fire and Water Records, a couple of other things. You can just find me there. Um, Yeah, I, I... Thank you for having me on the show I was I was glad to talk about this um, I highly recommend for any listeners like Checking out some of Donny Cates' other stuff Like, I, I've never been a huge Venom fan I even got into comics right at the peak Of Venom's popularity <laughs> um, But I read the first issue of Donny Cates' Venom And I was like, this is a pretty cool story I, I might want to follow this and, and I like his Guardians of the Galaxy He is taking over Thor soon They have redesigned Thor's costume And I'm not crazy about that But he described the book as cosmic swashbucklers, and I do like the sound of that, so Mm, I might give that one a shot. Um... But then, yeah, I, I highly recommend uh, the Dan Slott and Mike Allred version of Silver Surfer, that series, which you can find in a couple of trades. I think, actually, they might have done a, a full omnibus that collected it because there were about 30 issues in their whole run. Um, and, and, and Ralph, I think you would like it because they, they do the smart thing of giving him a human companion, essentially. Right, right, um, right. It's and I think, and I think though, when you yeah. read it, you will love Dawn more than you love Silver Surfer because she, uh-huh. she really makes the series, so...
1: Very cool, like I said. I, it, there's so many things I want to get to this year, and I promised myself I was going to finally sit down and like read some, read some like Love Rockets finally <laughs> in like Astro City maybe, and uh, I do want to read this Alverthor. So, and and uh, I haven't really been to a, a comic shop in a while, and now knowing Donnie enjoying this the way I did, I'm kind of curious as what. Uh, a Donny Cates Thor comic would read about Because Cosmic Swashbuckler That sounds good to me too So may have to give that a shot as well So again, thanks everybody for listening uh, Stay tuned, we're going to play some podcast promos And when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback
0: mm-hmm. This be some spread Embed not going to be playing solitaire tonight Gambit, What are you doing over here, talking to yourself in the third person? And what's all this food? Oh, Professor, Gambit have plans tonight. Once Cher shows up, Gambit gonna wine and dine her. Then we gonna listen to Fan holes, the pop culture podcast made for the fans, by the fans. Fan holes? I'll not have my school turned into a den of debauchery and science fiction trivia. No, Gambit. You'll just have to perform your obscene mating rituals elsewhere. Uh Uh-oh. Sound like the professor getting a little cranky. Gambit think it's time for you to go to bed. What? What are you... Ow! Unhand me at once! Unhand me, you swamp-fed ignoramus! Relax, me me Gamebit just gonna tuck you in real nice. Uh, X-Men, emergency, help! Uh-huh. Curse you, fanholes! And hey, don't mess with the fanholes!
4: Weekly content on iTunes, Stitcher Radio and fanholspodcast.blogspot.com.
0: Serves, my eyes I in Baby, I can pay you two kiss from That damn song is stuck in my head now. Thanks a lot, Pete Holmes. My mind!
2: For years, the Fire and Water Podcast Network has found its joy talking about comics. From Aquaman and Firestorm to Batman and Plastic Man, from giant treasuries to pocket sized digests, from massive miniseries events to singular one shot adventures, from romance to horror to whatever the hell Ohatmu or not is. In the last year, they've begun to carve a path through their favorite television shows, such as MASH, Cheers, and Justice League Unlimited, and there's no sign of them stopping. What medium will Fire and Water conquer next? Introducing Fire & Water Records, the music anthology podcast from the Fire & Water Network. Find your joy in all new ways as members of the Fire & Water Network and their friends discuss favorite songs, albums, concerts, and artists.
1: Hang on, I've been doing a music show for two years.
2: Featuring Record Revolution.
1: Join the Brothers Daily as we catalog the essential years that shaped popular music and our own lives.
2: A very daily Christmas.
1: An annual celebration of our favorite
2: holiday tracks. Plus, all new episodes of Zoom for Sam.
3: The show in which I share my joy of Samantha Fox by spotlighting a single, single, every single episode.
2: And Pod Dylan.
1: No, not Pod Dylan. We discussed this. That's staying on its own feed.
2: Not Pod Dylan, but everything else I said. Plus, so much more there's even a chance David Ace Gutierrez will show up.
0: Which brings us back to Fastball,
4: which is really one of the most interesting American bands in the world today. When you think about the number of side projects and solo projects associated with the band, it
2: actually almost outdone. Fire & Water Records, a proud part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network.
1: And we're back with listener feedback for episode 42 of Tetracast, which was the Flintstones Christmas Party with Chris Franklin. I have to say I could never figure out uh, what people are going to respond to because, boy, this episode got – a lot of reaction really uh, really fast as soon as it came out and people seemed really excited about it which I was a little surprised because I know that the you know, this is an ob- this was an obscure one and I mean a couple of months ago Ryan and I did Batman versus Hulk and that got a great response but I knew it would because that was a big treasury but people really seem to be excited about this uh, Flintstones <laughs> Christmas party treasury so thank you so much so uh, we're going to get into the comments from the website which is of course fireandwaterpodcast.com first up is Clinton Robison my pal he says I honestly had zero clue that these treasury editions existed. But then again, if they're infinite Rudolph treasuries, surely the Flintstones aren't beyond existing in treasury form. Definitely an interesting pre-Christmas episode. Uh, it's a good point, uh, Clinton. Uh, DC did about 79 Rudolph treasuries, so you know why not? Marvel can get in some of the action with some of their licensed Christmas uh, related uh, characters. So yeah, why not? it's very cool. Uh, Groovy, Mike Decker says, hey, Merry Christmas, Franklin Stein, and Rob the Boy Wonder. Another great holly jolly episode of Treasury cast. I was a big collector of the treasury-sized comics in the 70s from both Marvel and DC, but I have never seen any of the HB cartoon ones. I did have a couple of random issues of the regular Marvel, Scooby-Doo, Dynamite, and Blue Falcon and Laugh Olympics, but could never get a consistent run of them. I think the only issues I ever found with those comics were in those comics three packs that I'd get at the local drugstore. Chris's story of his dad doing the HB character voices reminds me of the time my daughter was five years old. One day I said something and she replied in confusion, Papa, why do you always do that? what? I replied. You always point to your head and say brains, and Mom and I don't understand it. So I had to sit down with her and try to explain the cultural touchstone that was Huckleberry Hound. I guess my wife and daughter had thought I was insane for years and just didn't want to tell me. To all the guys and gals and midnight pals at the good old Fire and Water Podcast Network, happy holidays. Thank you, Mike. That's a great great story. It's good to know that your daughter now knows who Huckleberry Hound is. Robert Wart says, Mark Avenir wrote Yogi Bears All Star Comedy Christmas Caper, and I know this because I got really excited and had to look it up if it was Mark Avenir who wrote Yogi's First Christmas. He didn't. When I still had satellite, I would watch First Christmas every chance I had, along with a Flintstone's Christmas Carol. Thank you, Robert. Ainoboznar says, "Yep, I first—I uh, think I first learned of the existence of these Hanna Barbera treasuries published by Marvel from your old treasury edition site. Rob never ever saw them back uh, when they were published. I did, however, have a few of the Hanna Barbera comics published by Marvel. Specifically, I had at least one issue of Laugh Olympics and a few of Dynamite because I watched both cartoons. I specifically remember liking the Blue Falcon. Back then, I thought he could have been a legit cool superhero. Love the show, though. It was interesting to learn about this book, especially the story behind it and Mark Evanier's role in the whole thing. Thank you." Gothos Mansion says, I really appreciate all the behind-the-scenes of in, in a veneer that you supplied. I never realized this treasury was that hard to find. I got this book brand new in 1977, probably at my local Harko drugstore, which always seemed to have the new treasuries. I don't guess uh, I saw the other two Marvel Hanna-Barbera treasuries in the wild because I don't have them. With Warner Brothers owning Hanna-Barbera and Marvel being under the Disney umbrella, seeing Marvel Hanna-Barbera comics is pretty weird. Uh, and then he also mentions there was something related to uh, the drug store. He says, my poor mom always had to do her drugstore shopping in Harco instead of Eckerd because Eckerd didn't carry comics, so I didn't want to go there. I also didn't want to grocery shop at Winn-Dixie because they were the only grocery store in town that didn't carry comics. That is where my evil granny always wanted to do her grocery shopping, but then she always fussed with me about reading comics anyway. So I never thought until just then that comics were a great way for stores to pull in customers since the kids would make the parents go to stores that sell them. Hmm. Yeah, I can speak to that. I talk about that a lot in my mountain comic shows. That I was constantly dragging my parents to different uh, newsstands and drugstores and supermarkets that sold comics. Like that, would, you know, to me it was like I need something to entertain me, and if th- I knew that that store sold comics, I was like, let's go there. So yeah, that, that's comics don't work that way anymore, but but they sure did used to. James Williams says, great episode. It took forever to listen to this because I kept replaying Chris's amazing impersonations. I was surprised to hear that Tony Strobel worked on this book. Tony's one of the great Disney artists. He worked on hundreds of Disney comics. Plus, he did some work for Disney Animation. Trivia for superhero fans, Tony went to art school with Siegel and Joe Schuster and played some small role in the creation of Superman. Whoa. I love this episode, and I hope YouTube 2 will, too, too will cover the other Hanna-Barbera treasury editions soon. Thank you, James. And you weren't the only person that suggested we do more of these, so uh, maybe Chris and I will have to come back and, and do the other uh, treasuries from this uh, fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera series. Joe X says, if you're a fan of comics history, and why would you be here if you weren't, uh, go to newsfromme.com. It's a great site, plus it has loads of hollywood anecdotes and sadly too many obituaries uh that is all true yes uh, mark avenir is of course a great writer and he's a wonderful storyteller and so his website news for me has been around forever and uh it's uh, it's full of great stories and he was one of the first people to promote my treasury Comics site back when i had it uh, when i first launched it and i really appreciated that because uh, he's a fan of the format too Dr. Anch says, "Never knew about this treasury, but as you were discussing, I was thinking, how are they celebrating Christmas in BC? So thanks for voicing that, Chris. I also wonder if they just didn't have Gazoo turn the banker inside out, but I guess such easy answers would make for a short treasury." As for me, I grew up in the era when these shows were all on local stations. I think it would easily, I would easily live in Top Cat's world as one of his gang. I think my humor is best expressed in Yogi Bear cartoons, and Wally Gator is the best theme song of the bunch. So hearing all these characters' names again, including some beloved sea listers like Pixie and Dixie, Lippy the Lion, and Hardy Har Har, and others made me smile like a goof. It's just what I needed. Thanks for covering. Thank you, Inch. And finally, uh, Lucien Desar. He says uh, this was a whole lot of fun to listen to. I had it playing as I was a. The grocery store buying Christmas groceries. Uh, Franklin's imitation of Yogi was great, and the story of his dad doing Hanna Barbera cartoons in the squad car was classic. Uh, that it was, Lucian. That it was. I always will never get tired of uh, podcasting with Chris. He's uh, just always a delight. So, and it was. Uh, he's my regular Christmas guest, and uh, I hope we never run out of Christmas related treasuries to talk about. There's still a couple more out there. They're obscure, but but they do exist. So who knows what we'll, we'll get to uh, next Christmas. Uh, So that is going to do it for the feedback on the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Of course, I have to move on to thanking everyone who retweeted the show over on Twitter. So big thanks to uh, Lisa Heisey. Hey, my cousin, Uh, Monitor Earth Prime, Jack Sullivan. Earth 2 Chris, of course, L. Romero Maxo, uh, The Mirror Factory, It's Plastic Man, Irredeemable Shag, Chris Lewis, Tim Price, Dr. Pop Culture, BGSU, Dan Cunningham, Between the Pages, Con L, Comics in the Golden Age, Son of Cthulhu, Dallin Bumgarten, Siskoid, KB Likes, Hashtag Disney Comics, Into the Weird, chris lyden and doc strange so again thanks for all those retweets i really do appreciate it Uh, of course if you want to support this show and the fire and order podcast network in general you can go to patreon.com slash fw podcast and there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice so if you want to be mentioned on treasury cast just uh, go over to patreon.com support the show and list us list treasury cast as the show you want to be mentioned on Uh, so thanks very much for that uh, that's gonna do it for this episode of Treasury Cast. Big thanks to Ryan and Derek for coming back to talk about the Silver Surfer treasury. I'm so happy that Marvel is doing new treasuries. I hope this is, was a big seller for them and they want to, and they keep, uh, keep doing more because, uh, I'm excited that the format is back in some small way. And this was a really, really great book. As I mentioned, it's a little pricey, but I think it's totally worthwhile to to pick up. Uh, so that is going to do it. Um, the one last thing I want to mention and I want to sign off on is that this is the first Treasury cast uh, that I'm recording um, since the passing of our dear friend Zoom Yukonori. And we did a special memorial episode uh, for Zoom earlier on in the month. But I just wanted to take a moment out to mention that Zoom was a guest on Treasury Cast. He appeared on Episode Seventeen, where we covered the DC Dick Tracy uh, Treasury Edition, one of my all-time favorites, and it was as always a complete delight to talk to Zoom. And I'm glad that we had a chance to for him to come on uh, this show and talk about a Treasury. So, in lieu of a clip from like Silver Surfer or something, you know, related to what I would normally do, uh, we're going to end this episode with a clip from uh treasure cast number 17 uh, where zoom and i talked to dick tracy so um obviously uh we miss him dearly uh and uh you know i guess that's really (laughs) not much else to say um we loved him, and we miss him terribly, and so I uh, hope you all enjoy uh, these couple of moments uh, with me and Zoom talking to Tracy. And uh, it would be a nice gesture, I think, if uh, you wanted to go back into the archives and go listen to that whole episode and hear Zoom in full flower because he was just an, uh, an amazing person and an amazing podcaster. And, of course, you can find that episode on our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. So that's going to do it. So until uh, next month, go big or go home. And then there's a Crime Stoppers textbook. Which is yes. little file cards which show people how to search for clues and stuff. I, I imagine you didn't – you – this was in – this is a original to the Treasury, I think. This is not – No, no. Actually,
3: comedy. these were from the Sunday strips oh, in the really? 50s oh, okay. and the 60s. Yeah. Oh, okay. if, you look, if you look on page three or six or nine of the Treasury, you'll notice that there are these real thin ba- uh, story panels next to the title banner. Right. You know. These later became these Crime Stopper handbook notes. That's the location they would be at the top oh, right corner of the of okay. the strip. And there would be they, they had these are just a sample of them. I, I know they, they kind of show it here without any context. And if I didn't tell you, you wouldn't have known.
1: No, I didn't know that. Okay.
3: So yeah, these are these are you know, the, these are like these um, Tips for rookie crime stoppers is, is how they look. But though I believe the one about having a small hammerless snub nosed revolver in your pocket being handy, I think it was more of a factoid <laughs> for about plain clothes <laughs> I think that was more of a factoid for plain cl- about plain clothes policemen rather than encouraging would be crime stoppers to go arm themselves with these things. <laughs> at least at least that's my hope.